Hello and welcome to the Money Marketing Podcast. I'm Sam Brodbeck, the Pension Supporter at Money Marketing. Uh, today we're joined by Fidelity's Retirement Director, Alan Hyam. Hello, Alan. Hi, Sam. Uh, and we're going to talk about the budget, which is next week, uh, which will be weighing up manifesto promises um, against the first budget of a new, of a new government. Um, so let's start off. And one of the things for pensions that everyone's been talking about for a long time um, and that we expect to be in there is, is tax relief. Um, where do you think we're going to go between what was promised before the election, what Ros Altman has said, what the industry wants? Well, it's a real mess at the moment, isn't it, Sam? There's lots of speculation about whether high-rate tax relief will stay or will go. What we know from the Conservative manifesto promise is that they're going to restrict the tax relief for people earning more than £150,000. They're going to gradually move their maximum down from 40000 to 10000 So if you earn more than 210000 you'll only be able to contribute 10000 to a pension and get tax relief. The outgoing pension minister, Steve Webb, has described it as bonkers and a dog's breakfast. That doesn't mean to say it isn't going to happen, of course. Uh, the bigger question is, with a huge budget deficit to fill, whether the 30-odd billion worth of pension tax relief is up for grabs. Is the government going to look at that money and say, well, do you know what, sooner or later, one government's probably going to change this. Why don't we get rid of high-rate pensions tax relief altogether and save 30 billion? That would go a long way to filling the deficit. Might that happen? It could, because it's a huge sum of money, but there would be enormous difficulties. It'd be extremely difficult to apply it to defined benefit pension schemes. I suspect it's so difficult that they have to give them a carve out. So straight away you won't save 30 billion, it's a much smaller number. And of course there would be huge bad publicity. Would they decide it's still worth it? They might. Of course carving out the defined benefit pension schemes mainly affects public sector workers. It's mainly public sector workers who benefit from defined benefit pension schemes. So if they maintain a significant tax advantage versus private sector workers, is that really going to be acceptable to the general public? We'll have to wait and see. Um, from what I understand, the industry broadly wants, um, you know, once once a decision's been made on tax leave, you know, almost like a once in a generation decision. Do you think this is the kind of thing that they'll consult on? Well, you'd like to think so. You'd like to think that after 2006, when we had the so-called tax simplification around pensions, that we sort of reset everything. Um, that you would have some sensible policy making but pensions has always been chipped away at from governments and used as a bit of a political football um, i think the reason for that is because the general public aren't that aware of pensions they don't understand the detail and in, in a way it's a very easy area to stealthily tax and take money out without seeming to affect the headline rates of tax, which of course the Conservatives have promised not to do. They've promised not to touch the headline, rate, headline rates of tax, but they've got to find the money from somewhere. So I do worry that they could, without any consultation, decide to seize a big number and effectively tax pensions. What's your preferred um, method of tax? If you could make any changes, what would you, what would you like to see? I've been on record a number of times as saying that we've had so much change, so much regulatory change, that actually we will benefit from a bit of a pause. I, th I think it's no bad idea to have a sort of commission, if you like. I don't think it needs an independent one. I think government can do it sensibly. But I think the priority is to encourage people to save more for their retirement. The next 10 years or so of retirees 
we've got largely covered. But what comes behind that doesn't look at all pretty, Sam. And if people don't save more, we're going to have a whole host of retirees on far less income than today's pensioners are, and that won't be good. So I think we have to think imaginatively about the tax system, how to use it to encourage more saving, not how to use it to fund the hole in the budget. Um, another, obviously, sort of pressing issue is um, the pension freedoms and people's access to them. The Treasury's already said it's going to consult on barriers to people accessing those freedoms. Do you think we could see some immediate changes in the budget? Um, we might. Um, the government's made lots of changes uh, in recent times that weren't expected. Um, they are, however, asking the regulator to look into this area, and it may be, as Ros Altman has said publicly, you, we want to get some facts and figures first. Whether they feel they've got enough information, and whether they feel that is giving them sufficient reason to intervene, I don't know. What I do know is that, that when they consulted on the freedom and choice, they asked the question, should access be made mandatory? Or could pension schemes be given the choice? And I think, if I recall correctly, the vast majority of people when responding to the consultation favoured making it mandatory because otherwise you'd have what is happening now, which is many pension schemes not allowing it. However, many people also lobbied to, to have the ability not to offer it if it didn't make sense for them to do so. And the government went down that route, but they were very clear. They said they didn't expect giving an exemption to lead to wholesale problems. So I do expect if the government feels that too many of the bigger companies, too many of the bigger pension schemes aren't actually playing ball, then that they might change things. They could say, give, we'll give 24 months, 12 months notice of bringing it in as a mandatory thing and say, you've got you know 12 more months to sort it out, but after that, you have to offer it. I wouldn't be surprised if that happened at all. Um, I think I might be thinking some of the um, occupational schemes are probably one of the areas where they haven't been so willing to go into um, allowing all the flexibilities. Do you think that would be sort of an easy target for the government? I think that's probably the area where they'll want to tread the most carefully because the government wants to avoid putting unnecessary burdens on business and they'll want to think through whether they are putting an unnecessary burden on business or whether it's a pension provider problem. Because fewer and fewer company pension schemes actually run their own scheme in-house these days. Some of the very large ones still do, but many of them outsourced it to you know, familiar names in the pensions industry. And the government may want to look at where the problem is. Is it because the pension companies haven't geared themselves up to doing it? Or is it because business has a genuine concern about you know, the cost of implementing it, the complexities, red tape if you like? So I think the government will think this through quite carefully and not want to upset business unnecessarily. But as I say, I think the bottom line will come that the government, if it's not happy that 90% you know, of people can access these freedoms reasonably easily, I think they will make changes. And I think they'll make changes across the board. Would that include um, possibly scrapping exit fees, which has been in the press as well? Well, we've got the FCA looking into that and sizing the problem up. Um, I, I think government would be more minded to find a negotiated solution with the industry. The industry has got a lot of costs of running these old policies on legacy systems and if the industry can save money by moving people from old systems onto new products and they can do that en masse without individual consent then you know the cost savings may fund the exit charges being reduced or even waived. 
So I think the crucial thing there is whether the industry and the government through the regulators can negotiate a package whereby the vast majority of people can be safely moved onto new style contracts with new style lower charges without the industry suffering huge losses and without the customer suffering huge losses. Um, the second annuity market is obviously um, a focal point for this government. Osborne's um, very keen on it. Do you think uh, we'll see confirmation that it's all going ahead? Or do you think, I mean, there have been a lot of concerns um, within the industry. Do you think it'd be something that could be shelved? Well, I've been on record as saying I expect the policy to be quietly shelved. Um, the ABI have, of course, recently written an open letter to the government, certainly asking them to put a hold on it for a year or two whilst all the difficult issues are worked through. I think most of the issues are insurmountable and I think if we did have a secondary annuity market in place and we had hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of pensioners wanting to get quotes on selling their annuities, it could overwhelm doctors who'd be asked to provide medical information. I don't see that that is a sensible thing to do when many people are struggling to see a GP and GP practices are already struggling with the current demand. So. I think the government will have to listen to the ABI because, in effect, they represent the body of companies who would do the buying of these secondary annuities. And if the people who want to do the buying don't want to do it for the next year or two, is it really in the government's interest to you know, build up the expectations of the public, the electorate who would do the selling, only to find that no market actually emerges? I don't think the government would want to pick a battle with the industry on this one. Um, any other tips for things you might be... Uh, you know, expecting to see in the budget? I think there's a reasonable chance that the government might look at national insurance on pension contributions. Um, there's up to 15 billion a year of national insurance contributions that are lost, if you like, by not treating an employer contribution to a pension scheme as though it was just part of your normal pay packet. If you get a company car, the cash value of that, there's national insurance contributions paid on it. If a, any other sort of benefit in kind has national insurance charged to it, just like your salary does. Um, pension contribution is the only real employee benefit that doesn't have national insurance contributions attaching to it. Now, that is a, would be a tax on jobs in a way. It would be a, a tax on employers. So if they did take money there, it might be accompanied by some easing of uh, corporation tax to net it off. I think there's a, a chance that something might happen in this area and I think it might be particularly presented as closing down the salary sacrifice loophole that exists. I don't think it's a loophole but I think that's how it will be presented. Um, in truth I suspect the savings from just stopping salary sacrifice will be f a fraction of the 15 billion of wiping national insurance. Uh, tax relief on pension contributions and it would be a bit of a sledgehammer to crack a nut if, if, all, if you only wanted to solve salary sacrifice but I think they will be attracted to the quite sizable number there and I think it would be a lot less um, sensitive than um, applying the end of pensions tax relief um, because it will be seen as a tax on business and business will get something back in corporation tax relief. Great, we'll have to see if that comes true. Um, that's all we've got time for. Um, thank you again to Alan from uh, Fidelity, and uh, we'll speak to you soon. Thanks.